hi, welcome to today's episode. Masood, why don't we start out with um, you explaining what you're doing in Oman and sure. in the Middle East, and uh, it's great stuff. So, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I might, I might want to take you down memory lane for a second, um, and and you know, tell you the story um, and how we arrived at you know what we're doing right now. So, back in 2015, I just graduated uh, University of Toronto, um, did health informatics uh, and information systems. And um, this was, you know, after having been in North America for 10 years, both studying um, and, and working. And um, I'd come back to Oman, uh, are, you know, somewhat reluctantly, I wanted to stay in North America a little longer, but my dad was like, no, you need to come back. <laughs> like, um, and so, you know, we came back and we had all of these great ideas of, of startups that we wanted to launch, really interesting tech we've seen in the West, um, you know, basically young, starry-eyed guys. And when I got here, uh, that was not the case. You know, we were just in the midst of um, the oil price crash. You know, the crude oil uh, market had crashed. Um, and, you know, the, the sentiment turned negative for the first time I had ever experienced it in Oman. So for the first time in my lifetime, um, seeing unemployment uh, in, in sort of in real time was was really a bizarre thing. You know, here... Um, you know, being a, a relatively oil-rich country, um, you know, you know, basically there was a certain expectation that provided that you did the right things, aka go to school, graduate from university, there's at least you know a, a relatively high-paying government job waiting for you at the end of it, at the very worst. Um, mm -hmm. And that was no longer the case, right? There were people coming back with with you know arguably smarter and harder working than myself, and and weren't able to find jobs, and, and this was really disconcerting. Hmm. And, and so you were right in the you were right in the mix of that. Then you were you were yeah. expecting a startup or a job when you got there, and it wasn't right. Yeah, and and, and there wasn't. It's was like, wait, this is not right. This is not <laughs> what's supposed to happen here. Um, and so and so, you know, I, I would you know have the chats uh, with with my partners now partners who then were just my childhood friends, and we talk about the matters and and. And there's a lot of doom and gloom, a lot of negativity. And I think after a while, we got sick of our own negativity and we kind of came to the conclusion that, look, either we're going to do something about this or we're just going to, you know, just take off and, you know, go somewhere else. And, and form um, the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we said, you know what, Let, let's take a stab at this and let's let's take a serious stab at, at, at trying to solve the problem. And so. You know, we, we kind of took a first principles approach, you know, took a white paper out and it's like, OK, so. What is the underlying problem here? No assumptions. And uh, what we did was we, you know, we had informational interviews with pretty much anybody that would talk to us from uh, government sector, private sector, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, though they were few and far between <laughs> uh, at the time. Um, and and what, what was really interesting was that on one hand, you would find, you know, these large funds. Uh, we counted well over, you know, a billion dollars earmarked for investment in, in, in startups. Um, and then on the other hand, is like a dearth of like, you know, entrepreneurs or, or people who wanted to enter the entrepreneurship space, um, but were complaining they couldn't find early stage funding. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they had great ideas and, and, you know, that would definitely solve real problems, uh, but they couldn't find funding. It was like this really weird disconnect that we were seeing it, in the marketplace. It, it happens in Seattle, too. So okay. we, we all share that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, it's. it's yeah, I had I had I had no idea until till I started this investigation, and um, 
what we decided was like, okay, so how do we how do we bridge the gap between the two, right? I mean, we can't rely on oil and gas because that's obviously, you know, the mega trends are not trending in the right direction. We're going to see a lot more of what we're seeing now, even if, you know, we have a dead cat bounce, uh, you know, even if it goes beyond the dead cat bounce, this thing is trending negatively. Um, so we, we need to find a more sustainable way of, of basically founding or, or building a foundation of our economy and it can't be on extractive uh, industries. So, um, so with that said, we said, okay, how do we kind of enable the sort of the, the ecosystem? How do we, how do we build like essentially a startup ecosystem from scratch? We don't, we don't actually have one. Um, we've never needed one. Um, and that's why we don't have one. And so, um, through, through various conversations, we realized that actually what we need to do is we need to look at it, um, quite simply. We, we met, uh, we were fortunate enough to meet with a guy called Cameron Elahian. He was a kind of a founding uh, board member of uh, SoundHound, and um, he was a co-founder of Cirrus Logics. And um, he knows a thing or two about, you know, building startups. And what he said to us was, you know, now it seems very simple at the time. Now it seems very simple at the time. It seemed very novel, which is, look, you just need to go look at a healthy ecosystem. Go look at something like San Francisco, London. Go to look, you know, South Korea. And what you'll see is that they have essentially there's just four tranches. That, that, that a startup goes through uh, throughout its life cycle. You know, it's like idea formation, business formation, growth and harvest or like acquisition, IPO or an exit. I'm like, okay. What other, did you, and did you physically go to these places and look at startups based off that advice uh, or did you just look at it remotely? And was it a cultural thing as well? Like a startup mm -hmm. culture that you had to bring over? Yes, uh, yes and yes. So uh, yes, we did visit San Francisco. We visited London. I unfortunately didn't get a chance to go to South Korea, but my partners did, um, for sure. And, and, and absolutely right. One of the challenges became very clear is, is, is the culture piece that comes on top and the policy piece. Um, the culture being arguably harder to change. We are, as a people, tend to be uh, quite risk averse and sort of commingle the idea of failing with being a failure. Um, there's a lot of shame in failing. Uh, and therefore, people become very, very risk averse and averse to change, which that's obviously the exact opposite of what you need in this space. Um, that said, that said, um, over time, I think it started to become very clear that the traditional route of guaranteed, let's say, semi-guaranteed government job was no longer a reality. And so people were just kind of jumping into the space out of necessity. Um, and, and sure enough, the culture were starting to change. There were agents of change, including ourselves, you know, through, 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 you know, just getting onto, uh, you know, local podcasts. And, um, you know, there, the, there was also a realization about a year or, or less than a year after we started to get into this, even from the government sector that, yeah, we need to shift the burden off the public sector onto the private sector. And one way to do this is to kind of enable entrepreneurs. Um, and so with, with a lot of that communication, we started to see results um, in, in, in the culture shift. Um, now, um, one thing uh, we realize is, 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 okay, so there's an ecosystem that needs to be built. This is what a good one looks like. Okay, let's take that template and overlay it on ours and see where the gaps are. Um, and there are a lot. <laughs> and then let's look at those specific gaps and see where we can kind of lend maximum impact due to you know prior knowledge, due to our network and, and resources we can bring to bear. And as a result of that, uh, we decided that we need to basically create um, a venture capital firm. 
So we have the first and only private VC firm in the country at the moment, uh, founded in, in 2018. It's still pretty, uh, pretty new. And really the idea here was to, to enable these young entrepreneurs uh, who have really great ideas, who just have no access to, to early capital on terms that make sense, right? Uh, you know, just, you know, prior to 2018, uh, prior to us, um, uh, and, and a few, now there are a few other players, including government entities and, uh, angels, but, you know, just prior to 2018, 2017, uh, most entrepreneurs would either have to bootstrap, they would either have to go to family offices where the terms were not necessarily founder friendly, or they would have to, you know, essentially mortgage their home. Um, and, and we don't have, let's say, um, Right now, at the moment, uh, don't uh, we're reforming the bankruptcy laws, but they they were not as let's say robust as you know just filing Chapter 11, restructuring a debt, and and going at it again. It was a lot more arduous than that. Oh, I'm um, familiar with that in the Korean yeah, context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, to put it mildly, um, and so we realized that one of the one of the areas that we could you know we could really help the situation out is by starting off a venture capital firm. And so what we did was, you know, we founded Face Ventures. And the reason why we called it that was, you know, we wanted to change the country's the shape of its economy, but we realized we'd have to do it in phases. Um, and so, yeah, so, so we launched the, the company. Um, and, and as soon as we started, you know, I remember we had a, a nice shiny uh, a door, um, you know, a nice sign that said Face Ventures, and we're expecting a ton of like organic deal flow. And all we heard were crickets. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to send out 400 cold emails every season of PyCon's startup row. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it, it was. It was brutal. Um, and and then we kind of realized, okay, this is why there weren't any private VCs or there isn't much of deal flow. So what we did was we're like, okay, we're we're not going to just have to like attack or, or or support one part of the ecosystem. We're going to have to be actively hands-on building this ecosystem from the ground up. And so we decided to have a number of uh, parallel initiatives. Uh, this included a accelerator program. Uh, we were partnered with our good friends from Spark Labs Global. Uh, we created a um, Spark Labs Energy, and we partnered with our national oil company. We focused on accelerating um, you know, startups from around the world uh, that, that are mostly focused on energy and logistics. Um, and we take a quite a broad term when I say energy and logistics. So when I say energy, I mean anything that could serve the energy industry. So we even have some solutions that, are, for example, um, you know, AI solutions that uh, do 100%, let's say, accounts reconciliation or account sampling for audits, for instance. So, um, but that would be really useful for a huge finance department like like a like a national oil company, for instance. Um, so, yeah. This seems like a good transition to get into the AI efforts you've put on. Mm -hmm. I, I know you've hosted a, a big event as well, mm -hmm. and uh, you have a lot of thoughts about how you can help um, the Middle East globally with AI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're a firm believer that, you know, that, that that's not only the future, it, it is the present now. Um, and what we realized here in the region, uh, well, I'm not in particular, but the region at large, there have been huge investments made, uh, both in the energy sector, both like from the traditional space and, and, you know, alternative energy 
and also the logistics space. We have these huge ports being built, billions of dollars being poured locally and foreign and foreign investments. Uh, but really, in order to extract value out of that, we see there needs to be that layer of technology on top that not many people are really thinking about. And a big part of that will be, you know, either, you know, AI first solutions, essentially. I mean, there's other places like Tel Aviv and places like that kind of, I mean, not real close to you mm. from a logistics perspective, but still, there. do you have any relationship with any of those other centers um, that seem to have quite a bit of AI going on? Um, and so, so they're geographically not too far from us, but, um, politically it's, it's challenging to tap into some of these. Politically it's very far. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big topic for a different kind of podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, touch on touching topics, but I, I'm just <laughs> yeah. trying to. Yeah. See, where yeah. do you get, you know, you got your influences for a startup in general from very good places, you know, Korea mm-hmm. and the Valley and, and, mm-hmm. and Silicon Valley and stuff. And, but then mm-hmm. for the AI space, and this is something we keep a very close, obviously, watch on because we have podcasts on it. Where, where did you get, where do these places get their inspiration for these ideas? Are they just completely novel or is there an ecosystem you've built there or where, where does it come from? Yeah, it, it it's. I think right now it's kind of a function of the ecosystem we're built around here. So one of the things that dawned on me early on is, you know, coming from, you know, coming from North America, seeing what is possible and coming here and like, well, we're like 20 years behind at least. Uh, there's huge opportunities. I've seen the future. You know, I feel like a time traveler. Um, mm. and, 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 you know, and thinking, why is it that, that oh, in those more mature markets, they're already sold on this? There's not, it's just not, you're not selling on, whether or not this is the right way forward is a question of how do you go forward in this space. Uh, but here it's just like initially it was it was a huge hesitance and you know you know what's the right way forward here. Um, and so what what I realized is we need to kind of build the ecosystem and bring that experience and demonstrate value uh, so that people here understand what is possible by using AI and then sort of get the flywheel spinning and say okay what else do you got what else do you got and that's kind of what's happening here. So. What we did was uh, on that front is one of the first projects we have is the Spark Labs Energy Accelerator Program, uh, where what we did was we so PDO, which is our national oil company, stands for Petroleum Development Oman. They're the, uh, the you know arguably one of the largest companies uh, in 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 the country and one of the biggest, if not the biggest, contributor to our country's revenue. And so we said, look, if we want to move the needle on the country. Uh, let's move the needle on this company. Uh, and and it's a whole other story how we managed to convince them. Uh, but we managed to convince them to partner with them and, and launch this accelerator program wherein they would give us access to, you know, their expertise. So access to their geophysicists and, uh, you know, the reservoir engineers, production technologists. Um, and they would also give us, obviously, with, with a, a good reason beforehand, access to their operational platforms, the access to their actual wells, access to their, you know, the data, of course, you know, um, uh, in, in a very controlled way. Um, and and with that, you know, we, we managed to um, attract a lot of startups from around the world, particularly in the energy space. You know, that's one of the key bottlenecks for some of the best companies in the world. It's not necessarily capital, uh, but rather access to, you know, IRL platforms in real life, you know, uh, you know, wells that they can really test their or real in real life data. Very few operators from around the world that be willing to take that kind of a risk. So that became a yeah. honey trap. You, you suck at 
you you struck gold in terms of people talk about it's the new oil, right? Yes. The data. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know we got the data from the oil <laughs> from the oil field. Um, yeah. um, it's it's quite a it, it's a good um, startup standup joke, I think, or data science yeah, standup joke. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I'm gonna take. I'm taking notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should be we should be we should be broadcasting this live, and we should be having some sort of AI running to identify key themes while we're while we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. But but in, in, in all seriousness, I found that like some of the media companies in uh, in the states, at least are surprisingly far behind in innovation sometimes, even that are even getting into the space of IRL. I mean, there's some key players who are not behind, but then there's a lot mm -hmm. who are. Um, is this a startup opportunity for them to start bringing this technology to them? Or do you expect these larger efforts to be more internally delivered from, you know, and they, you know, how, how do you, mm -hmm. how do these startups play with that ecosystem of the larger efforts in media uh, programs that are going on, social media included. To be honest, that that whole space is yet to be discovered, in my opinion. Uh, at least when we're talking about media and the you know application of these sort of AI first solutions in that space here, um, they well, Brian's giving an, an analog oh, of that, media okay. companies as traditional companies as to uh, yes, yes, oil companies as traditional companies. Yes. So. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I missed that that point. I've been up for like 24 hours. His fault. <laughs> it, his fault. So it's his yeah. fault. <laughs> Usually. So, um, yeah. So so uh, I think I think right now. Um, so this is funny. I was having a chat with with somebody from the British Embassy about this just yesterday, and I think generally speaking, the challenge with the large corps, uh, you know, the dinosaurs, as one might call them, uh, and particularly engineering uh, dinosaurs, you know, uh, they're kind of engineered themselves to reduce complexity and reduce uncertainty. And so trying to innovate from within is, you know, within that existing system without having a special track, uh, it, it just doesn't work. Uh, and I've been part of uh, a couple of teams that tried to do this uh, early on when I first started uh, my professional career here, and it it died a very quick death uh, initially. Uh, and so with that that experience, uh, you know, I, I was at, I able to take that to the you know the senior leadership and say, hey, look, this thing has a lot of traction, a lot, lot of possibilities, but it's not getting any traction uh, just because you're having it inside this ecosystem effectively that is treating you know innovation like uh, like a virus and <laughs> your organization is killing it like antibodies uh what you need to do perhaps is you know have a uh outfit sitting outside of your main organization um that's able to uh partner with some of the best startups in the world and let that organization facilitate the interaction be that adapter uh between the startup world and this you know this behemoth of our organization where you can like pinpoint the key stakeholders you need, pinpoint the key resources you need, and have the shelter from senior management to actually prove value. Um, and, and then once you've proven value, you start to win over the masses, and then you can take it through the traditional you know, contracts and procurements and scale into the organization. But um, for now, from what I've seen, trying to uh, build internal, sort of like inside out uh, in these, uh, let's say, more traditional organizations, it is possible 
but I, I, I would just I wouldn't advise it right now, at least not 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 in, not here in, in our context. I mean, you're speaking my language a lot because I mean yeah. we my firm does a lot of POCs and pilots and prove it out first and then deliver mm-hmm. more more and more as we get market share. And it sounds like that's a real pathway to innovation uh, for these startups too, that they could play a role in, in that proving it out. But are they ever afraid that it just never comes to be, that it's always, it lives in a POC land and never... <laughs> yeah, yeah. some of our, our portfolio companies at Base Ventures are, are feeling, feeling the the challenges of that, you know, where they just keep asking for free samples, but you start to wonder if they ever have an intent to buy. Um, so, so what we've done actually with the accelerator program is we, we realized this quite early on. And so what we, the way we structured it was we actually start with the need. So actually our accelerator program is bolted on pretty tightly to the big company uh, PDO in this case, where we have weekly joint teams. We call them joint task forces between our team of analysts and sometimes partners, along with their, uh, their you know, counterparts that also include uh, senior members from the finance directorate, from the legal department, from the new technologies department, uh, from the operations department, and, uh, uh, and of course the new business development department. We start by trying to understand what are the strategic imperatives that you have? What are the things that are keeping up your leaders at night? Oh, it's it's you know it's industrial wastewater, yeah, because you're producing hundreds of thousands of cubic meters of wastewater as a byproduct of extracting oil out of the ground, and you have nowhere to put it, and it costs a lot of energy mm-hmm. to put it back in the ground, and it's detrimental to the environments. We need to solve this problem, and if we can solve it, we're going to unlock hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, you know, so we're looking for these kind of problems. Uh, we, so we go through this exercise. With, with with the organization and they kind of tell us like this these are our real big problems you can solve this this is a hundred million dollar problem and we say okay now that's interesting so we kind of do a little bit of research around that we kind of refine that 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 long list into maybe something more manageable maybe five or six key uh strategic themes and then we go out hunting which we're kind of doing now over six months um where we, we just like literally we review like over a thousand startups um, and then we kind of refine them based on a, um, on a on a system that we have. Obviously, you know, we'll, we'll look for the commercial viability, the maturity and et cetera, et cetera, the relevance. Um, and then we kind of whittle it down to about something more manageable to around like a top 30 list where we'll then share it with the corporate. Um, and then the ones that they are very interested in. Uh, we'll take it through the channels to go for a much deeper due diligence, like a, a deeper dive with their technical teams. And if that, you know, passes the smell test, then actually what we do is we say, look, you really think that this is a real problem? Yes. Do you really think that this team can solve that problem? Yes. Okay. Now, at scale? Yes. Okay. Well, what are the KPIs that they need to hit to prove to you that they can take this proof of concept? And, and turn it into a proof of value such that if they do hit these KPIs, there's a contract waiting for them on the back end of this uh, and they sign it. And so that's mm. how you know, like, this is not just a free sample that's going nowhere. Sounds, sounds like a very effective uh, process where you really mm. set up the success metrics. And that's probably why you're so successful at this. Well, we're getting close to We're getting a couple, two minutes left. So it's getting close to time. Is there any like leave behind or a way to contact you or anything you would like to leave listeners with regarding, uh, you know, any last messages for them? Um, 
Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, for I mean, one, <laughs> are you calling out to entrepreneurs to look at what you're doing and contact you and and contribute to your efforts, for example? Yeah, for sure. You know, and anybody in this space, um, as I said, you know, when we talk about energy and logistics, we're looking at very broadly. Um, if you have an interesting company that can service uh, both those industries, do get in touch with us. Do check out Spark Labs Energy, our accelerator. Check out Phase Ventures, our VC firm. Uh, and of course, you can always reach out to me directly uh, via LinkedIn or Masood R uh, on Twitter. I'll be more than happy uh, to respond. Um, and then, of course, I would always say, um, you know, to to my uh, my friends in Amer in North America, um, you know, I think the U.S. market is obviously a gigantic market, but I, I would I would definitely suggest coming here in the GCC and specifically not just the MENA region. It's growing rapidly. It's still blue ocean. Uh, there's lots of capital that's looking for places to go and very clear problems that have already been solved before elsewhere that are looking to be solved here. It's, it's, uh, it, now's the time. 